0: And uh, take myself off mute today, so that'll make it easier on the sound people today. But uh, excited to be back. Uh, I got back from vacation, and uh, people have asked about vacation, and some people are like, "Man, you guys look just so happy, you're just always on the same page as a marriage." Let me give you an illustration of what our marriage is actually like. <laughs> we are at, in South Dakota at Wind Cave National Park, and we were on a hike. And we, walk past, we just walked past just a, a point that there wasn't any significance, but there's some people behind us, like we had just walked past. They're about 30, 40 feet behind us. All of a sudden they're like, that's a huge snake. And Ann goes, we just literally just walked by a snake. And so she's got this fear of snakes. I think they taste good. So we walked by and uh, we didn't think anything of it. And then we realized that we got to walk back. And so she says, I need you to go ahead and just see if the snake is still there. So I walk ahead and I'm getting ready to, to, I just want to poke my head in and tell her it's clear. I poke my head into the greenery only to hear her feet running past me to leave me to get bit in the face by the snake and maybe get help and, and maybe a new husband after that I've died and just I'm laying there. This is the story of our marriage here. It's like a, it's a in basketball it's called a pick and roll. You pick, I'll go score. And that's the story of our marriage so uh, no we had an amazing time restful time Uh, I would recommend going out to the West uh, hiking some mountains uh, climbing a few cliffs and just enjoying the outdoors of what God has created I would highly highly recommend next week I cannot reiterate enough if you've not been baptized you should get baptized and let me just speak to every adult here where maybe you've been serving the Lord for a very long time and you've never been baptized Let me tell you, I think... This is not something that you build up toward obedience. This is our first step of obedience. And if you've never been uh, submerged in water, we do not hold you under the water. Uh, We do not count to 10. Uh, We don't hold, if you've got a lot of sin, you don't spend time underneath the water to get all of it off of you. Um, It is, in my opinion, one of the greatest things to do as a believer. It is this public profession of faith. So if you've never been baptized, I don't care how old you are or young you are, if you profess Christ, Stop by the counter after service. I mean, you can go to the website now and sign up, but stop by the counter after the service and let's get you signed up. Let's get you just walking in obedience toward the Lord. And uh, I've had people ask me, well, what about if I was baptized as a child? Um, I would still encourage, if you're following Jesus, be baptized the New Testament way. Jesus was baptized this way. I think you ought to be baptized this way. So it'd be an honor, honor to dunk you next week. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 15. Matthew 15, we are in this series called Questions Jesus Asked, and we, uh, we've got hundreds of questions that Jesus has asked, and we have been focusing on now, this is week number eight, our eighth question. Um, there's no specific order that we've gone to these, like the most important questions. Um, honestly, I've let the staff pick out the ones that they've wanted to, to preach on, a few of them that I wanted to preach on, and that's what happens when you let them take the first choice. Um, at the same time, I just love preaching the Gospels. Um, Matthew 15, one thing that I'm encouraged by when I go into public bathrooms, specifically men's rooms, all right, let me be specific, I only go in men's rooms. That came out really, really <laughs> weird. And <laughs> uh, let's be real, there's like, you know, men's and women's like, anybody rooms, the family, I, I, I'm really like digging myself over a little hole here. I only go in men's rooms, okay? But one thing that encourages me when I go into men's rooms is when, I'm kind of encouraged when the soap dispenser is out. Why? Because it tells me men are using soap. (laughs) Don't, don't look at me weirdly. You ladies, you wonder, are men using the soap in the men's room? What doesn't encourage me is if I go back to the same men's room the next day or two days later and the soap dispenser is still out. That's disgusting. So yeah, I think it's important to wash your hands after you use a public restroom. Now, the question is, how many paper towels do you use? Someone said lots. What's the, Joe, Joe, you're a you're, you're one-towel guy. Anybody more than one? What's, what's, the, how many? Three? Three? One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. Is that how we do it? That's how I do it. I mean, I've got three up here. Three towels, but I want to teach you, I just found this out this week, how to wash your hands and only use one paper towel, because we all need to be more like Joe, apparently. And so I found this out this past week. I'm going to move my Bible just so I don't get the Bible wet. Lord knows it's been spelled on 50,000 times. But we got some soapy water here. And you, obviously you wash your hands, you cover them. You're supposed to say the ABCs, aren't you, as you wash your hands? Is that what we teach kids? Some of you are looking at me like, I only count to two. <laughs> don't shake hands after the service. So you wash your hands, and this is what you're supposed to do. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Why 12? One for each disciple. Twelve tribes of Israel, I don't know. But it's something about the number 12. And then you take your one little towel, you do this, and it's dry. Isn't that wild? You're like, thank you, I know. It's just This is why you come to church, is to learn how to use one tile. I mean, listen, we not just save souls, we save the earth at the same time. This is how we live life. What does this have to do with anything? Because it's the washing of hands... In Matthew chapter 15, that triggers the religious leaders, they're called the Pharisees, it triggers them to attack the disciples, but more specifically, Jesus, who is leading these 12 people. Something so simple. Washing hands and these Pharisees, they're always looking for ways to trap Jesus, to attack Jesus, to really take him, who is a threat to their power and their abilities and their influence. They want to remove him so they can have their power with the people. So the washing of the hands is more than just a simple health tip today. This is what we're utilizing to help propel us into this argument. Matthew 15, verse one. Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Look at that. We've seen your disciples eat their pigs. And it's not the amount that they're eating. They're filthy when they eat. I don't, know, I don't know if anybody ever washes their hands before they eat, I don't always think about that. Um, I, I have great memories of my, grand, my great-grandmother, Grandma Hunt, she used to wash my hands for me because Lord knows I would walk in and grab everything playing in mud. And I just got great memories of Grandma Hunt. She was a Pentecostal um, mentor in my life, prayer warrior, Love Grandma Hunt. This would have be Grandma's Hunt gripe. This is her gripe. They don't wash their hands, And it's not about being clean and eating cleanly, per se. It's according to the what? Traditions of the elders. And Jesus answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? We're going to sit on that today. We're going to talk about tradition today. We're going to have a conversation about tradition. What does Jesus talk about? What is he getting at? Because with the disciples, they weren't necessarily doing anything sinful, but in the eyes of the religious, they were doing everything wrong and in their eyes, sinful. Has anybody looked at your, your life and pinpointed something that you're doing as sin? Not because God said something, but because they thought something this is what was going on you're breaking tr- the tradition of our elders we've got a tradition you're not doing it therefore you must be in sin so the question is what is tradition so i went to that great gospel book the uh the dictionary and this is what it says Trans- tradition is the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation it is the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. So you can have a habit that you do, but it's not truly a tradition unless it's been passed on to the next generation. Like I've got my silly, stupid uh, birthday song that I sing to my kids. I've sung to my kids as long as I've known. And that's kind of been my custom. But when I found out that when my son was in leadership and marching band, that he was singing that song to his trumpet players, I'm like, we've got a tradition. And right here, I want to sing "Filler on the Roof and get into the song Tradition, but I don't want to ruin the movie for you. Uh, but we all have traditions, and are traditions wrong? Now, some of you traditional people, no. They're not necessarily wrong. I mean, we all have annual traditions. Like my wife used to have a tradition, used to. Like on the very first Michigan game, it's in two weeks, Hallelujah she would get my frosty michigan mug fill it with coke set that down next to the couch and big bowl of pretzels and she's like i just want you to enjoy your first game now the reality is she just wants the season to be over but she would there would be kind of a annual thing that she used to do now she's like oh it's coming again and she just wants it done we all have annual traditions in our home we have holiday traditions like the first time we spent Thanksgiving together, and she didn't realize that I have a holiday tradition every Thanksgiving of watching the Lions lose. You watch them lose, you cut the turkey. That's what you do as an American. That's just. W- and meanwhile, her family's like, "Does he watch all of the games?" She goes, "I've never seen this before. I don't know." We have annual traditions. Um, like Ann's annual tradition in her family, everybody opens up gifts one at a time and everybody watches. And my tradition was you rip it open, you celebrate, and you go on the rest of the day. And she has slowly infected the rest of my family and now it's a slower Christmas than it's ever been in 24 years of marriage. Everyone's got their traditions. We've got all sorts of traditions. We got religious traditions. I remember when I went to Midland as a youth pastor, and I'm like, oh, does the church have any like, tra- traditions, like things that they do every year, um, like Christmas Eve? They're like, oh, we do a great Christmas Eve service, but we also do a Thanksgiving Eve service. That's a tradition at this church. I'm like, Thanksgiving Eve? What is that? And so I heard about, so I showed up in like khakis and a an polo shirt. Nobody gave me the heads up that everybody is dressed and, like, suit and ties. I mean, it's like a prom for a pizza. Like, you show up to Thanksgiving Eve, there's, like, 1,200 people there, and everybody is dressed like it's Easter Sunday, and I'm like, I look like an idiot here. And so for my first Christmas Eve, I got dressed up. I put a three-piece suit on. I had this nice pinstripe suit, because that's what I used to preach in. I used to preach in three-piece suits. Oh, my Lord. Um, so I show up, in that. Ann's decked out. We walk in, and everyone's in khakis and Christmas sweaters. I'm like... Help a brother out here. I'm I'm on staff. Somebody give me the heads up. We've got traditions that linger, traditions that we do. And traditions are good. Traditions can be wonderful. Why? Because they give a sense of purpose and recognizability. They are a part of our church. in fact, we've got a tradition, and it doesn't feel like it, but we've got a tradition that when we show up, we have a tradition that when we show up, the first thing that we do is we sing, but we do more than just sing songs. We lift high the name of Jesus, and we bring all of the focus of our hearts and our minds toward Jesus, and we do that through song. Then after that, we have a tradition of listening to this guy yap for a few minutes, and we go about our Sunday. We've got a tradition every single Sunday that if you need prayer, you ought to be able to be prayed for. It was essential to the first church, it's essential to ours. So whether it's up front or in our prayer room after the service off to my left, we've got a tradition that if you need prayer, we believe in the power of prayer and we believe That prayer changes things. That's a tradition here at this church. Traditions are great. But let me tell you this. In my 25 years of ministry and 13 years as pastor here, I will say that the most contentious thing that I've seen in churches up to this point is traditions. Some people think the most contentious things in churches is issues of sin. I'm just here to tell you, that's not the most contentious thing. It's traditions. My first five years here, some of the nastiest letters that I got from people that were unsigned. I don't know who unsigned is. He but unsigned doesn't like me. Right, let me. let me give you the very first note, unsigned note I ever got. This is hilarious. In fact, it got posted um, in a magazine. I, I submitted it to on a tweet and ended up getting posted. Um, the very first unsigned note I ever got, because these walls used to be all white, someone said, would Pastor Dave, please go to the tanning bed because he blends into the walls behind him. <laughs> yes, I've got Canadian blood. I'm extra white. I get it. But some of the most contentious things, if we did more hymns, if we did more contemporary, Pastor Dave, you should be in jeans. Once I got in jeans, you should be in a suit. Uh, we should do this. You should do that. We got to bring back this. We got to bring back that. This. It, why? And I would try to just, I'd put out there, if you have questions, come talk to me. And some people would talk to me. Why do you want things back this way or back that way? Because that's just what we traditionally have done in this church, or traditionally in the Assemblies of God, or traditionally in all the Christendom. Tradition, tradition, tradition. Tradition I am fine with. But I think we get to the point where we think tradition is that which saves us instead of the one for which the tradition is about. And we start serving tradition. And pastor, I'm so sick of innovation. I'm sick of new stuff. Let's just get back to things. But I want to give you an understanding this morning that today's church tradition was yesterday's innovation. What was accepted by one generation had to be created by at least the previous one. I don't like new stuff in the church. I'm here to tell you, at one point, at one point, somebody said, we need better songs in the church, and so what they did was, they took bar tunes that they were singing in the pub, and they started changing the lyrics to be Christian lyrics, and, and you know what we call them today? Hymns. Some of you don't know that some hymns were created as, for, out of bar tunes. Somebody, you tell me which ones, Pastor Dave, I will call that person, I'll write them an anonymous note. I remember reading, um, somebody sent me an article from a paper, somebody sent in an article to a paper, complaining about the contemporary music in today's church. It is taken away from the spirit of God, it is taken away from the focus of who Jesus is, and if God wanted music that way, he would have created music that way, but I'm tired of what the contemporary church is doing to the, the church of today. It was written in the early 1900s in response to when they took a organ out of a movie theater and they put it in the church to help with songs. I got a letter to Billy Graham. Says, somebody wrote a letter to Billy and says this. Billy, like is a friend. Maybe I'm just old fashioned, but from the time our church music director introduced new songs to the service, I just learned to not care for them. I like just the old hymns and I wish he would just stick to them. Should I complain to our pastor? And so Billy answers, I know this has been a controversial issue in many churches, and I don't pretend to have all the answers, especially since I'm not particularly musical. But we have a singing faith, and God has given us a gift of music to praise him. The psalmist declared, with the singing of my lips, I will praise you, Psalm 63, 5. Instead of complaining to your pastor or anybody else, I urge you to ask God to help you to be grateful for all music that points us toward God, new or old. You may not like some of it, but others do, and God can use that in their lives to encourage them and bring them closer to Christ. Remember, old hymns were once new, and somebody probably didn't like them either. Sometimes I'm afraid a hymn can be so familiar to us that we sing and don't even think about the words, but this is wrong because then our singing becomes empty and meaningless. Don't let this happen, but uh, meditate on the words of the songs you sing, even turn them into a prayer. Your music director probably has been wise to introduce new songs slowly, completely changing everything all at once can be disruptive. Pray for him and encourage him, let him know that you're grateful for his gifts, and yes, let him know you appreciate old hymns, but support him also as he seeks to reach a new generation through music. Tradition, it's gotta be hymns. That is as lame of an argument as, as saying, it's got to be Hillsong. It's got to be Elevation. It's got to be Maverick City. It's got to be Upper Room. We have to have drums. Where's the organ? Where's this? It's amazing how we in the church, instead of fighting for souls, we fight with each other over Tradition. And we're so used to serving methods instead of following Jesus. Because for some of you, the song that bores you blesses people around you. And for others, the sermon that you thought was lame was something that fed somebody's soul. We get so caught up in traditions and we want it done to feed us. We have turned the church into a capitalistic, consumeristic mode that we go only what we feel, we like, but what could churches look like if we stop fighting amongst ourselves and getting on people about hand-washing issues and begin to look toward the one for which cleans our soul from the inside and out? We are a people following after Jesus. But I want to give you a distinction this morning, at least the difference between tradition and traditionalism, because there's the difference, and it comes from this quote. Tradition is the living faith of the dead traditionalism is the dead faith of the living and as i post i should add it's traditionalism that gives tradition a bad name you see the difference we are here because of tradition the the living faith passed on from those that have preceded us at kalamazoo first assembly of god We are here because of a handful of people in 1931 had a vision for a church to be planted in Kalamazoo and then Asa Miller came in 1933. Next year, we celebrate 90 years here in Kalamazoo. Next year, I've already begun to make preparations for a celebration for 90 years. We're going to celebrate. We are here because we stand on the shoulders of giants in this church. Some of y'all have been in this church for decades. This church is existing because of what you have put into this church. Blood, sweat, tears, your tithes, your offerings, your service. It's what keeps us going and keeps us moving and keeps us celebrating. But we we cannot worship what you've done. I honor everything that everybody's ever done. I am the, what, 15th pastor in 19, almost, what, 89 years now. 15th pastor in 89 years. I stand on the shoulder of complete giants. But we, we honor, but we don't worship. We acknowledge, but we don't lift up above Jesus. Lifting anything up above Jesus, that's traditionalism. Tradition says we can honor We can celebrate, we can give God all celebration, but when we get to the place where we begin to worship what has been done or we begin to worship the methods of what's being done, we get into the place of what the Old Testament will simply call idolatry and that's what traditionalism can lead towards. I wrote it this way and this makes sense for Michiganders. Church traditionalism is sticking your tongue to old frozen successes. I had a Christmas story stuck in my brain this past week. That's exactly what cr- traditionalism is. We had a success, and we have latched ourselves onto that, hoping we can get one more success. I don't want the same success as last year. I want more, su- I want more of what God has in store. God will take us from glory to glory to glory. Listen, when, when God told Moses to go free the people, he told them from a fiery bush. And what he didn't want Moses to do was come back to a fiery bush and just worship the fiery bush, because that's what he did back then, but when he came back, it looked like the mountain was on fire. Why? Because God will redeem you in one moment, but he takes you from glory to glory to glory to glory, and if we're not careful, we can worship those moments, and we keep going back to those moments instead of turning our face toward Jesus, saying, God, give me more. Do something new in my life. Isaiah chapter 43, God says to the people of Israel, stop battling with what happened. I'm about to do something new. Can you not perceive it? This is what Jesus is trying to convey to these Pharisees. You're lost in your traditionalism. And this is what he says, verse, uh, let's let's read the question again. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, verse four, honor your father and mother, and whoever revels father uh, or mother must surely die. But you say if anyone tells his father or mother what you have gained from me is given to God, is it not, he is not, he need not honor his father. For, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the words of God, you hypocrites. Now let me stop there. Let me give some uh, insight. Mark chapter 7 is the parallel of this passage, and there was a tradition developed called Corban. Corban was a tradition that the Pharisees said, you've got to honor your father and mother unless, unless the temple needs something from you. And this was their way to say, hey, it's actually more priority for you to take care of the temple than you are to take care of your aging parents. And so Jesus calls them out and says, all you're doing is you're taking and adding traditions to monopolize on people and to leverage it for your own own well-being. And that's why he quotes Isaiah chapter 29. These people... Honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Look at that. Their heart is far from me, and they're teaching doctrines really as traditions, or traditions as doctrines. Jesus is getting after their heart. They were validating or valuing traditions about God instead of valuing connection to God. Let me say that again. They were valuing their traditions about God. You can have great traditions, but if your value was only in the method, you've missed the heart. Because the heart of the tradition, when it was set to connect you to Jesus, that's what it has to be about. Because every tradition that we have in this church and every tradition that we ought to be, that we are doing, or that we do do, every tradition should point toward two things. It should help people to love the Lord our God and help us to love one another as we love ourselves. And our connection to Christ, it it shouldn't be just about traditionalism. Our connection to Jesus ought to be life-giving, not a lifeless routine. Our relationship with Jesus is just that. Religion is not a bad word, but the problem is is we've taken religion and we've made it about rules, that if I do the right things, then I am the right thing, as opposed to going to Jesus and realizing that apart from you, there's nothing right that's going on inside of my life, so therefore I need you, Jesus. And then once I find Jesus, I begin to kind of live out of that, and that's where traditions get born and can not be a wonderful thing. Now, let, let me say something, and, and it's, I promise you this is not going to get me in trouble with my wife. Um, I do not love her more than the day I married her. Now, some of you are like, you better never say that to me. You're talking to your spouse right now. And I, because I was thinking about it this past week. We had an amazing best vacation ever together. Just wonderful. And I realized, I, I came out of it, I'm like, I don't love my wife any more than I did the day I married her. Now, I love her more than the day I met her, I was dating somebody else, she was single, it was, that would have been weird. But I don't love her more, I love her deeper. Why, because through the years, there are actions and things that, that we have done to help love each other deeper, and they have changed over the course of 24 years of marriage because we're not the same creatures we were 24 years ago, praise God. We've grown, we've changed. And the longer that we've been married, the more we realize not only have we changed as individuals, it then changes the marriage. So you have to love each other a little differently than we did 24 years ago. And that's a lot of the change, change brings change. And the more you learn, the more you know how to love. And so therefore I don't love her any more than day one. I love her deeper. What does that have to do with this? It's everything. Because sometimes we get so lost in traditionalism that this is what I did did when I first came to Christ. And so I just stick to that one thing and I never grow past that. And I'm here to say, I'm not trying to get you to love Jesus more per se. I want you to love Jesus deeper. I want you to go into a deepness with him where you're beginning to understand that, yes, I love Jesus, but now it begins to take root in your life and begins to bear fruit and begin, you begin to realize that Jesus, what he wants to do in your life now, is going to be different than what it was a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. He wants to grow you from glory to glory to glory because he wants to continue to change your heart. Because Jesus says this, he says in verse, uh, see, 10 through 11, he called the people to him saying, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of a mouth that defiles a person. You're like, okay, so we just have to control our mouths. As long as I don't cuss, I'm okay. But Jesus talks about this at another point where he says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when he's talking about what's coming out of the mouth, he's actually talking about a heart issue. For the Pharisees, their heart was bent around, if I do the right things and I can position people to do, things, to do the things I want, I have authority over their life. Because it was all about the commands. How many commands? 613 commands. 248 of those commands were positive. And that gives us 365 negative commands. Wouldn't that make an amazing calendar to have on your desk at work? A negative command for every day of the week. That's amazing. Do not weave two different types of strands of thread together uh, or else you may get stoned. Uh, and we're not talking about today's stoned, we're talking about another year stoned. But don't weave those things together, there's the negative command of the day. Don't commit adultery, there's the negative command of the day. Uh, yeah, this is what the Pharisees were trying to live their lives towards. But what happened is this, is they took those 613 commands and they begin to add on, not hundreds, literally thousands of new commands to help clarify those 613. For example, the Mosaic Law says keep the Sabbath day. And so what happened was Jewish scholars said that people began to create 39 separate categories and subcategories trying to define what work means. Keep the Sabbath, in other words, don't work on the Sabbath, have a day of rest. Some of you think that God created the Sabbath so that we can come to church and do something for God. I'm here to tell you, we need to preach on this sometime. God did not create the Sabbath so that you can bless him. God wanted to bless you. God wants your life to bless him seven days a week. And not just on one day. But he gave a Sabbath to rest, to enjoy. And so the Pharisees and, and scholars begin to make up 39 hundreds of categories to help define what's work. Like, how many steps can you take on the Sabbath? How many letters can you, are you allowed to write people on the Sabbath in today's day? How many Facebook posts can you make on the Sabbath? How about this? You're not allowed to spit on the ground because that would create mud, and therefore you worked and you broke the Sabbath. So if you sneezed, you worked on the Sabbath, and you did it wrong. I mean, do you see the craziness of what's going on here? So by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, what the law had produced in the hearts of people was something heartless, cold and in an arrogant brand of righteousness this is what the pharisees were teaching and preaching and this is what they were putting upon the people and what happened is this is they got caught up in the law instead of looking what the purpose of the law was all about from the beginning the law had two purposes if you are a fan of leviticus i want to meet you after service because i've never met one in my life the two reasons of the law number one Romans 7, 7 tells us, to make our sins evident. The law was there to paint a picture that we are broken. And then number two, the law demonstrated that we desperately needed a savior. The law was there to paint a picture. Listen, let me tell you how you can't measure up, because you look at that 613, none of us measure up. And God did not build it up just to make us feel hopeless. God gave us the law to, so that we would look up our eyes and say, we can't have life beyond you, Lord. And so we are, we are given the law to point us toward Jesus. Galatians chapter 2, three, verse 24 says, let me put it this way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The message paraphrase says, until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic law. The law was like those Greek tutors, which you're familiar with who escorted children to school to protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place that they are set out. The law was a guardian. The law wasn't your parent. The law was a guardian. There to protect. There to guide. But most importantly is to point the finger saying, that, listen, you're sinful, but you've got a savior. And this is what the Pharisees missed. Traditionalism is about control. Tradition was meant to point toward Jesus. And often when we follow traditions, we're hoping to discover Jesus, but we were meant to follow Jesus and through him to actually discover what tradition is supposed to be. Because when we follow Jesus, we truly understand what we're supposed to be and truly what we're supposed to do. I don't know what what Christian traditions you may have grown up in, there's numbers of us. I bet you I could start naming off Presbyterian, non-denom, Baptist, Lutheran, and we get numbers of hands of people that have gone through different traditions, Christian traditions. I came from a Pentecostal charismatic tradition, but what I would call a more holiness tradition. And the holiness tradition got birthed out of, of Pentecostal times where it was if we could not, if we can make up some rules so that we don't do sinful things, it will help us to not be sinful. Which is why for my great grandma Hunt, she threw away our dice out of Monopoly because if dice was in the Monopoly game, guess what we can do with that, that, those dice? We can play craps. I mean, isn't that what five-year-olds and six-year-olds do all the time? <laughs> my Aunt Mary lived down the street. My great Aunt Mary, she f- found us playing cards. We were playing hearts one time and she, she threw away our cards. Why? Because cards could lead toward poker and then poker leads toward destitute. And that could happen if you have cards. And then also, I remember her pointing out the little things that, that look like angels on the back, but probably demonic too. Oh, that was a whole conversation with Aunt Mary. Um, with my parents, I wasn't allowed to go to dances. No proms, no homecomings, we didn't have dancing at our wedding um, because you know what dancing leads to, automatically leads toward, Sex, exactly. I'm like, shouldn't I dance at my wedding then? Come on. <laughs> and so, and my parents, even I love my parents, we weren't allowed to go to movie theaters. We were allowed to rent movies. I'm like, but dad, what's the difference? Well, they could see you going to the theater and they don't know what you're seeing. I'm like, but I'm walking out with a a VHS that's covered up that nobody sees the cover. They don't, yeah, but they can ask us. I'm like, they can ask me afterwards. And so, oh, that was a battle till I was 18. And I finally talked to my parents and they let me go see Jurassic Park. I love that great gospel movie. Wonderful. And then I didn't tell them, about my aunt uh, snuck me off the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But you're depriving your children if you're not taking them to Star Wars. Let's just be real. So... We set up those traditions back in the day. And listen, the heart of it all, I believe the heart of the holiness movement was wonderful. The heart of it was wonderful. And most of the church traditions that I've seen in my studies, the heart of the beginning of it, was the heart was right. I want to be separated. I want to be holy unto God. And so we begin to say, let's let's set ourselves apart by not doing these things. But what ended up happening over the years, it went from setting yourself apart for God to the place where if I don't do these things, then I'm okay with God. And so instead of Jesus Cleansing us, it's the, our own actions that cleansed us. And I'm okay with God, because I don't do the things that you do. Oh, I've heard those things before. I had one pastor, he tried witnessing to me on the streets of Boston. He started giving me the talk about the Romans Road, I'm like, I'm like bro, I'm a pastor, I'm saved. He goes, do you use the King James Bible? I said, not really. He goes, you're not really saved. I'm like, oh! Bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord. I'm telling you, we get to the place where we start serving and that's traditionalism. And do we want traditions? I love traditions. But I want them to be born out of this passion that says, I want to know Jesus. And I want traditions that are going to point me toward who he is. And so I'm going to give you a litmus test for any any and all church traditions that are going to help us and guide us. And here's here's my litmus test. This is how I wrote it. Number one, does it compel me to love the Lord deeper? Number two, does it compel me to love people deeper? And number three, does it invite others to do the same? And if our traditions are getting us on a step for which we step onto it and look down on people, we've missed the boat. If our tradition is to build up a platform so I can, we can stand and say, everybody look at my good life and my perfect life and if you can be just like me, our traditions should position us to be broken and so humble before the Lord that says, what I'm doing here, that when we come together and we worship, when we come together and we read scripture, when we lift up our hands or when we drop to our knees, that whatever traditions we go after, it should position me to say, this here is putting me in the place of focusing on the one, the audience of one, and to him, the king, eternal, immortal, the invisible, the only God, be the honor and glory forever and ever, amen. It's positioning me to love him deeper, and it's compelling me not just to love him deeper, but not to look down on people, but to be amongst him and recognize that when he pours into me, immediately I wanna love people around me, and I would live it in such a way that it makes other people look at my life and And not turn down their nose or turn up their nose, but say, they have tapped into something real. And there must be a real God. Because when I see the change, when I see their life, and I see how they love me and engage me, that's the type of Jesus that I want to be after. It invites them to do the same. You see, we need faith traditions that create space, not just for God to move in our services, but to move in our lives. I love traditions, but I am so tired of being attacked the years over traditions about the service. The service makes up 1% of our week. God, don't give us traditions that will transform a Sunday morning. Give us traditions in our daily lives that transform our lives on the daily. That's why, we ought, that's why I believe in reading our Bible every day. It's a tradition of mine. I wake up in the morning, I come to the office, I get my scripture journal out, and I traditionally, I sit and I digest scripture together. I've got worship music on in the background. That's my thing. That may not be your thing, but you all ought to be in the scriptures. You ought to be spending time in prayer. If you, ever, if you need something to pray about, here, here's an easy prayer list right here. Go on Facebook and simply post this. Does anybody have something to pray about? Give it an hour, you'll be set for the week. Be a man or a woman of prayer. Find someone to encourage. Maybe that should be a tradition, is that every single day you should find five people to encourage. Maybe it should be a tradition that every single day you contact two people that God lays down your heart, just to let them know that you're going to be praying for them and you actually do pray for them. And what you're starting with in your heart is the idea of tradition. And this is in a Pentecostal church, and I need a musician to come up to help me shut up here. In a Pentecostal charismatic church, the one of these things that sometimes that we can get in trouble with is in Pentecostal churches we tend to set aside tradition for the sake of revelation. And you're like, well, as a charismatic, I celebrate. We don't have traditions, but I I would argue. Do you know what a Pentecostal tradition is? Is spontaneity. And I so, said, Pastor, the Spirit of God really moved today because you went off your notes a lot. I'm just going to tell you, I memorize my notes. It looks like I'm off my notes. Sometimes I do get off my notes. Let's be real. But Or sometimes I'll come up in a service and I'll, like, I'll pause worship just to speak a word that God's laid in my heart. The Spirit of God really moved today because it was spontaneous. As charismatics, sometimes we serve the spontaneous and the crazy and the out of the box. And we think that's God. Can I tell you what? That's our tradition. That's a tradition. And we got to get back to the place where we don't have to choose one or the other. We need tradition. What is tradition? Tradition is what God has spoken. Do you know what this is? This is a book of tradition of what God has spoken. But what we need is more than just what God has spoken. We do have to say, God, speak to me today. We need both. We need tradition and revelation. Obeying what God said before and obeying what God is doing now. Because when I read this, one thing that I love about this is that we celebrate what God has done. We celebrate what God has spoken. We celebrate all the miracles. But also it helps you to look up up and realize He's not done yet. There's revelation. He wants to speak into us and give us revelation. And the revelation He gives you might be different from the one He gives to the person next to you. I've had people say, God gave me revelation. I need to stop doing this. So maybe we need to announce that as a church. I'm like, are you telling the rest of us to stop that or just you? And He goes, well, I, God gave me a word. I just assume it's for everybody else. I'm like, no, 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 no. At times, that God speaks specifically to you. That's revelation. At times he speaks directly to the church. He does both. And I celebrate that we've got traditions. But Lord, help us in 2022 recognize he still wants to give us revelation today. And one of my prayers today is not to get you out of tradition per se. I love to get you delivered out of traditionalism, but I don't want to disregard tradition. I want to recognize recognize it's a part of the same coin. We need revelation. Holy Spirit of God, give us revelation like never before. Give us revelation, give us words and wonders, signs that would just blow our mind and point people back toward Jesus. Give us words of wisdom. Give us words of knowledge. Give us measures of faith. Give us, give us people that will speak in other languages. Give us interpretation, God. Give us revelation. Give us a view of our lives like we've never had before. I met with a young man today that three years ago, no, excuse me, four years ago, he was completely without God, unchurched. He came and encountered Jesus on an Easter Sunday morning. And he, so I talked with him on the phone. Here 2022, four years later, he's going to Estonia as a missionary. In four years. And, I, and when I clicked off, I, I got done with that young man and we just had such a great conversation. And I clicked off. And honestly, I went to prayer for our congregation. I'm like, Lord, you did that in a four-year-old believer. Lord, would you do that in 10-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old believers that you would remind them, regardless of how long you've been sitting in the seat, you're not done with them yet. God, call missionaries. Call teachers for the kids and youth leaders. Call more worshipers people to just get into the worship band or people to sing. Call people to stand at the doorways and greet people with smiles. Give people revelation that God isn't done with you yet. And what God might do in your life might be, can I just say it this way, might be the most non-traditional way you expected. We don't serve the tradition, we serve the one it's supposed to be about. The question is simply this, Why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? Jesus hit the Pharisees with a two by four between the eyes. And my heart for us today is that God would do that to us this week. Would you make it your prayer, this two weeks, two questions that I want you to solve this week. Number one, what traditions do I observe? Ask yourself that. What are my weekly traditions or what are my daily traditions when it comes to serving God? Baby, your only tradition is you show up to K first and listen to Pastor Dave Yap. Ask the question, what are my traditions in terms of me serving Jesus? And secondly, am I seeking after revelation in my life? The reason why I like scripture journals is this. I don't like just reading what it says. I love the blank page next to it. I begin to write down, what is God speaking to me now? Because they're gonna work hand in hand. I do not believe that what God speaks to us today will ever contract the word he gave to us yesterday. They go hand in hand. Bow your heads with me. I'm done yapping.